Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 56. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me, him who sent me. For he who is least among you is all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. This is the word of the Lord. So we now have our children's service, so in a few minutes I'll dismiss the kids to go out, and in the courtyard you'll have your special children's lesson and time together, but let me ask you, all the kids, a question before you leave. How many of you make mistakes? Raising hands, any kids make mistakes? Any of you do things your parents tell you not to do? Okay, let's just assume everybody's raising their hand. What happens when you make a mistake? What happens? What? You, I'm assuming you're saying you get some sort of correction, right? Your mom or dad have some sort of talk with you. They tell you the right way to do things. And maybe there's a consequence for something that you did, right? Let me ask you a really important question. When your parents correct you, do they love you? Yeah. yeah, they do. In fact, that's one of the ways you can tell your parents really care for you is when they take the time and the thought to help guide you and show you the right way. It's one of the ways your mom and dad show they love you. And it's the same with us as God's people. In this passage we're reading today, Jesus corrects his disciples and shows them a better way to live, all because he loves us. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to ask uh, all the kids to go out the middle doors and out into the courtyard. So before that, let me pray. Father, we thank you for children. We thank you for blessing this congregation with lots of kids. We pray that we would be good shepherds of these sheep, that we would love them well. And also, like this passage says, we would see in them you and that we would welcome them and show them the hospitality which you've shown to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, kids can get up. Be dismissed. Awesome. So each week when I'm preparing uh, for a sermon, I usually am writing down and getting things organized, and usually I, um, an illustration that I want to start off the sermon will come to me occasionally. That's the best week, is when like the illustration comes and it's like smooth sailing from there on out. Most weeks, however, 
I have to like write down something like, here's the kind of illustration I need for this week. And then there are some weeks, like this week, where nothing comes, where I don't have an illustration. All I have is my note of what kind of illustration I need. Now, let me tell you, tomorrow morning, I will come across the best, most incredible illustration to have started this sermon on. But all I have now is my note, which says, a situation where someone fails to grasp what is happening. Now, as I thought about that, and the reason I was like struggling is maybe it's so hard to come up with a situation where someone fails to grasp what is happening as a unique story because it's such a common story. This is the way life works most of the time. This is the world in which we live. This is the way it is uh, where we get things wrong, even when we're trying very hard to do things in the right way. We oftentimes get mismatched and don't quite get it. That's where the disciples are this morning. Uh, Jesus has just recently began talking to them very pointedly about exactly what's going to happen to him and how he is going to uh, achieve or launch the kingdom of God through his death and through his resurrection. And that concept is something they are struggling mightily with understanding and applying to their daily life. It's a way of thinking that's incredibly alien to the way that they have grown up thinking about life and how to live it. I think we can identify very closely, too, that this way of Jesus is oftentimes something radically different than the normal, quote-unquote, way of operating our lives. And in these three episodes, in this short span of time, we begin to see them failing to grasp what is happening. In verse 46 through 48, they are confused about how status and privilege operate in Jesus' kingdom. In verse 49 and 50, they're confused about how power works in the way of Jesus. And in verse 51 through 56, they're confused about how to handle rejection and conflict as people of God. Status, power, and conflict are areas we are all prone to fail to grasp how Jesus' way is different from the way that we've been schooled in from birth. So we're just going to look at those in this story and how Jesus redirects them to thinking about status and power and conflict in ways that are shaped by his character and his kingdom. First of all, status. Uh, the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus begins to talk about a kingdom. Uh, Jesus' talk recently about a kingdom that's coming has led them to start jockeying for positions in his administration. Oh, he's bringing his kingdom. Time to beef up the resume time to hone it, polish it, make it look a little more impressive. And so on the side, as Jesus is sort of out of earshot, they begin to calculate and jockey for position in Jesus's new kingdom that he's about to bring. 
And the way they do that is arguing about who is the greatest. greatest. And to this, Jesus intervenes, and what he does is pretty striking. He takes a child, a little kid, and he brings the kid right up beside him. And he tells them, look, um, if you welcome this child, you're welcoming me. And then he makes this statement that the least in my kingdom is actually the greatest. The least is going to be the greatest. That status is assigned in Christ's kingdom, not by stepping over the weak, the little, and the least. But status in the kingdom of God is given to people who care for, who serve, who welcome the least as if they were Jesus himself. Are you, do you begin to feel the confusion of this at the moment for the disciples? They are all about getting one way of thinking, and Jesus totally pulls the rug underneath them in the way that they're going down their line of argument. It's absolutely not what they expected. Mother Teresa, who many of you guys know of, uh, she's a woman who lived in India. She's not Indian. She was called there. She served the poorest of the poor for many, many years. And in one of her interviews, she was asked a question. She was asked, how do you love the poor so much? her response back was really intriguing. She basically said, that's the wrong question. Said, I don't serve the poor because I necessarily love the poor per se. I do what I do because I want to know and love Jesus. And Jesus said that he was with the poor. And if I want to know Jesus, I go to where he is, which is here. And she says, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus, so I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This one has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. Humble service, welcoming the weak, is the way, the only way to greatness in the kingdom of God. That's the way status is conferred in God's way of operating, by serving and welcoming the weak. What about power? The next episode, the disciples are upset because somebody is unauthorized by them is doing something that they themselves are struggling to do. If you've read just the little paragraph before this one, the disciples are frustrated because they can't cast out a demon. And Jesus tells them, it's because you don't pray and you don't have faith. You're struggling with this. And here they see a guy doing exactly the same thing that they couldn't do and using Jesus's way. And they're frankly jealous. And in light of that jealousy, they begin this argument about power. Tell him that he's not one of us. Discredit him. And Jesus intervenes and says, don't stop him. If he's not against you, you're basically allies. That those who are not against you are on the same team as you. Stop operating from this way of looking at power in the same way that power operates in the world. That in the world, power is acquired through personal competency. When I am a master over a subject matter, 
or an area of expertise, or when I have resources at my disposal, then I execute power in the world. That's the presupposition that the apostles are operating on, the disciples are operating on with this guy. He's unauthorized by us. Therefore, discredit him, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Power operates differently in my economy. In my economy, power is given from God. It's not something you master from within yourself. And so when power comes, it is displayed in all kinds of people, all kinds of movements, all kinds of places that you would not expect it to happen because it's from God. It's not from you. That the Spirit moves as it wishes. The Spirit moves like a wind, and you cannot control it because it's from God alone. And the only response to that is to celebrate and to share the gifts of God, not to hoard or limit the way power works, but to recognize and to see that power comes from God, and God is incredibly able and profligate in using all kinds of people to accomplish his aims on this earth. Status, power. And then the third is this rejection or conflict that happens. A town refuses them hospitality, and James and John, who, by the way, were just on the Mount of Transfiguration, who just saw Jesus in his full glory, uh, who had just had this amazing vision of where genuine power and status reside. Take this story of rejection, and immediately they want to call down fire from heaven. They want to use violence to get back at the people that are opposing them. And Jesus intervenes here in the sharpest way possible. He turns to them, and he rebukes them. I don't know what the rebuke was. It's not recorded, right? Like we don't have the words of Jesus' rebuke to them. Either it wasn't any words at all and just sort of a look from him that kind of froze them, or it was words that were so hard to hear that they couldn't record them. They were so devastating. We don't know. But by his action, Jesus shuts down violence as a response to responding to rejection and conflict. If you remember just a few weeks ago, Jesus has given very clear instruction to his disciples about how to handle conflict and rejection. When you go out and if somebody rejects you, if a city or a town doesn't welcome you, then all you're supposed to do is just turn your back, knock out your shoes of the dust, and move on. What that is, is a, a simple little liturgy, a simple little reminder that you're letting God be God. Justice is his, not mine. I am not judge and jury here. I will let God deal with the consequences of this behavior, but I myself personally refuse to engage in an act of violence against others who reject me. His kingdom is a kingdom of love and cannot in any way be associated with a violent response. 
The violence in the story of Jesus is violence against Jesus, not violence that he initiates against our foe. Jesus destroys sin and death on the cross. This whole movement of Luke that we're beginning to, it kind of feels like uh, we're, we've caught a flow, right? Like there's a stream flowing in one direction from this point of Luke forward to the cross. And we're getting to pick up speed. And the speed we're picking up is Jesus reminding his disciples and us that at the cross, he will absolutely annihilate evil and sin and death. But that the way that he does it is not at all the way that we typically approach conflict. We talked just a few weeks ago that Jesus is the lamb of God who was slain. He is the one who rules by absorbing and taking the violence of the world and the sin of it against him in order to release us as his people from their curse. And if his people begin to act violently against others, instead of being willing to step into the way of peacemaking, we've defeated the whole purpose of Jesus's coming. That's why he's so strong and stern at this moment in his rebuke against his beloved disciples. I've tried to make a point that Jesus genuinely and he truly cares for and loves these people that are following him. He's not play acting. He really cares for them. And so at this point when he actually rebukes them, it's because they've got something so wrong that if he does not correct them, They will keep misinterpreting the purpose of his kingdom from that point forward. That his purpose is not violence. His purpose is to bring forth peace. So here's the good news about this passage. This week, even today, maybe even in the next few minutes, all of us will face opportunities to handle an appeal to status, power, and conflict. And because of this passage, we can do that differently. There is power in this story, these stories, these trifold story, to equip us to live differently because of this. We no longer have to fall into the, um, the grasp of what's happening. We, oh, we, oh sorry. Sometimes I can't even read my own handwriting. You know, it's a, it's a professional hazard. Um, but going back to the original thing, you know, we fail to grasp what's really happening. These stories are here to equip us to actually see what's happening. When s- challenges to status, when encouragement to power, for dealing with conflict come at us, These stories act as a guide to remind us we don't have to fall into the traps of our upbringing, into worldly ways of thinking. There's an alternative way of actually behaving that leads to life. That we can follow Jesus with his type of humble service. We can share the gifts of God broadly. We can engage in peacemaking. And we can all do this because of several things that Jesus is reiterating here about himself. We can actually move into this way of being because of being humble because what we see happens 
when God himself is humble. Jesus has humbled himself to serve and to come to us. And because of that, we actually know God. God is not a mystery that is impenetrable, but he's pictured and clarified in the person of Jesus in such a way that Jesus can say to his disciples and to us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Were he not humble, were he not one who was willing to come down from heaven to earth to incarnate, to become a human being, to live a normal life, we would not know that about God. We would be confused. But Jesus' own humility opens a way for us to then step into a pathway of humility. Because Jesus uh, has talked about a different way of using power and has reminded his disciples, he's reminding us that part of his role is to send his spirit to his church. On the day of ascension, Jesus goes to heaven. And then days later at Pentecost, he pours out his spirit, the power of God, into his church in a tangible form. The power, the Spirit of God is in the church for the purpose of equipping us to be able to be obedient. Power does not come by personal mastery or by having resources. In the kingdom of God, power comes because Jesus has sent the power of the Spirit to us We don't move into obedience. We don't move into following because we are great. We obey because we see the greatness of God and we've been equipped by His Spirit to walk the path. And also here, we can move into conflict with other people. We can move into places of disobedience or disagreement in a radically different way because of Jesus's cross. That he has shown us how to defeat evil. Our natural way of opposing others, of trying to solve a problem, is through tools of domination, tools of violence, tools of tearing somebody down. But the way of the cross shows us a radical way of actually undermining evil itself by willing to take and to move into a place of peacemaking, of moving to others that we are in disagreement with as brothers and sisters, as people who have a point of view, as places where we can hear and understand and we can actually move in grace And when we can't come to agreement, we can simply knock the dust off of our feet and let God be God and let him deal with justice instead of us trying to take it into our own hands and execute it in our own power. The way of peacemaking, the way of power in the kingdom through the spirit, the way of humility, These are the things that Jesus is correcting and directing his disciples to follow in because they truly are the only ways to change the world. They're the only ways he uses to change the world. 
there's a prayer that's commonly attributed to St. Francis, but it's really not from St. Francis, I learned this week, but it kind of puts all these things together. And it says this, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Father, help us to embrace your way. Help us to hear your correction from our natural way of dealing with status and power and conflict. And Lord, help us to be your people, to rely upon your spirit, to see your example, to love your ways, in order for us to be people of mercy who move out and show mercy to others. We ask this for your glory and for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.